seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Mile 94 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We're so glad you can join us, and we're super excited to analyze some of the lessons learned from Molly Seidel's Tour de Force bronze medal performance at the Tokyo Olympic Marathon. We believe regardless of skill or experience level and across racing distances, there are wide-ranging applications from Molly's racing, training, resilience, and recovery. Before we start, I'd like to remind everyone of the great work being published in Pace Magazine. The summer edition of Pace is in stores now and also available through their website, www.pacemag.wordpress.com. And you can follow them on Instagram for more info at pace underscore mag. Among the articles in the summer edition that I particularly enjoyed is an excellent examination of temperature and humidity data as related to running efforts from Furman University professor Scott Murr. Thankfully, we are nearing the time on the calendar when we end our daily check of the dew point, but this is certainly a valuable article and a resource to keep around each summer. Also, the team here at Seconds Flat were pleased to contribute a piece on the Japanese distance running culture of marathon and ekadin racing, which is perhaps unparalleled worldwide. And of course, the best race calendar for Western North Carolina, upstate South Carolina, and beyond is included as always. So check out Pace and get ready for the fall edition, which you will be seeing on newsstands soon. Okay, now let's jump to the Women's Olympic Marathon. American depth in this event and powerhouse performances have had us talking about this on the show for the past several years. Shalane Flanagan, Amy Craig, Jordan Hesse, Des Linden, Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Kellen Taylor, Laura Thweet, the list goes on and on and on. And they've delivered historic races in recent years including major marathon victories, and made the running public salivate with thoughts of our first women's Olympic marathon medal since Dina Castor's bronze at Athens in 2004. Remember, the women's marathon is not an old event. It was first contested in 1984 in in Los Angeles. And on our turf, it was an American, Joan Benoit, who won the gold medal. But we've had a drought here since 2004. And from that long list of contenders, few expected a fresh-faced debutante at the 2020 Atlanta Trials would be our best hope. Temporarily out of the sport several years ago and running only her third career marathon, Molly Seidel survived brutal race morning conditions on her way to bronze. 
Now, we as race fans are beneficiaries of her success as Molly's openness with her training and racing priorities provides us great insights into how we can all improve as runners. So let's begin with race day and work backward. If you haven't seen the race, you can check out a full replay on YouTube courtesy of the Olympics channel. As we've talked about here before, the race was moved north out of Tokyo over concerns about the stifling August weather conditions in Japan's capital city. This meant Tokyo would follow London and Rio, 2012 and 2016 respectively, in bucking the trend of ending the marathon inside the Olympic Stadium. That iconic moment of the Games wouldn't happen because the site shifted 500 miles north to Sapporo. However, the summer heat followed the race north and temperatures rose into the mid-80s, accompanied by steamy humidity by the time the field finished. And that was after race directors moved the event up an hour to reduce direct sun exposure. The race played out as we might expect of a championship event, particularly one in such searing heat, a tactical affair defined by late moves. It was a battle of attrition in line with the old aphorism that in marathoning, the race doesn't begin until at least the halfway mark. Seidel immediately inserted herself in the lead pack, much as she did in her Atlanta debut 18 months ago. The wind and and hills in Atlanta revealed her grit, which was called upon again in Sapporo. 46 women remained in the lead pack at the 10-kilometer mark and the pace was rather pedestrian for elite marathoners. Even the inexperienced Seidel, positioned comfortably in the front group, was on pace to run eight minutes slower than her personal best. The screws were tightened a bit in the next 5K as the speed increased to a 17-10 split, and the pack started to fray. By halfway, Molly sat in fifth, and about a dozen runners looked like serious contenders. It was then past the 20-mile barrier where the real punches were thrown as surging broke all but the toughest competitors. Then, just when it appeared, Seidel was destined for an admirable but medal-less fourth-place finish. NBC coverage returned from a brief commercial break as Israel's Lona Salpeter hit the wall and struggled to the finish. At 2 hours, 27 minutes, and 46 seconds, Molly Seidel crossed the finish line with a primal scream and outpouring of emotion. We could celebrate an American Marathon bronze medalist. Now, to understand Molly's success in that crucible of competition at its highest level, we should rewind for a bit and look at the ingredients in the medal-winning cocktail. First, her training. As the British commentators at the Tokyo Games would say, Molly's training certainly had her in cracking form. As expected of an Olympic marathon medalist, her global volume is high. In the six weeks at the core of her marathon block, we consistently see over 120 miles per week and double runs nearly every day. This is not to suggest we must all go run triple-digit weekly mileage to reach our goals. Instead, it points to the value of running what is relatively high volume for ourselves as a key to our aerobic development. And 
she's running a significant portion of that mileage at very easy efforts. This is critical. Refer back to our last episode, mile 93, for a more detailed explanation on the importance of running easy to get faster. The deeper wisdom of Molly's training is, is seen when we look at her harder workout sessions. She frequently uses progression runs. In mile 63, we discuss progression runs and how you can include them in your training and best execute them for your success. Uh, these occur as standalone workouts for Molly and also sometimes are used within her long runs. Given the combination of championship-style tactical racing and the weather conditions expected in Sapporo, these progressions are a particularly logical training mechanism. She teaches her body to operate faster while fatigued and creates a race-like environment. Consider for a moment your upcoming goal race. You can easily apply similar practice into your preparation. Is it a hilly course? Will the lead runners close fast? Are there lots of rhythm-breaking turns? While I can't say for certain that Molly's coaches used progression runs specifically for the likely style of race at Sapporo, there's no question the progressions readied her for the Olympic marathon's demands. So what can you do across your workouts, nutrition, cross-training, etc., that prepares you for the demands of your goal race? We see several other notable types of key sessions. Molly's favorite session is also one of ours, alternations. She uses a 10-mile construction called a float and push, alternating one kilometer at five to 10 seconds faster than marathon pace with one kilometer at five to 10 seconds slower than marathon pace, going back and forth for the entirety of 16 kilometers or approximately 10 miles. The comfort created at these efforts proved meaningful in Sapporo. The early race pace was near her float effort and likely felt more like the recovery segments of that workout than racing. And the late race speed mirrored Molly's push segments, so she had previously internalized the grind of changing gears and closing slightly faster than goal pace. For more alternation workout ideas, Check out mile 64 in our Workouts We Love series with examples. Another interesting piece is the composition of Molly's speed work. She regularly ends easy runs with strides or diagonals. We break down strides in mile 32 and also in our YouTube video series if you'd like a refresher. These are the neuromuscular development exercise that helps distance runners develop top end speed and form and recruit it late in races. You could also use short hill sprints here. And in Molly's Strava data, we frequently see her doing strides the day before a harder workout. This is a very common practice. It's helpful in fostering appropriate muscle tension leading into a workout session or race. Moreover, the other faster efforts Molly completes are not speed in the purest sense we think of for sprinters. Rather, we see intervals like 400s, sometimes a hefty block of them, at 10K or 8K paces. 
These sessions should remind us all to work at the critical pace zones that constitute speed for our given goal races. As I mentioned earlier and in mile 93, much of Molly's easy running is done at a pace that is for her quite slow. This leads to our next point, her emphasis on recovery. In a sample training week, seven of her eight easy runs were two minutes or more slower per mile than her marathon pace. The faster you get as a marathoner or half marathoner or 10K, 8K or 5K runner, the larger that gap tends to be. A four plus hour marathoner may be able to run closer to marathon pace on an easy day. But here for Molly, the biggest goal is making sure she is ready for the next hard session. So remember that. That easy day is preparing you so that you can get more out of the harder one. She also skillfully employs the flexibility necessary for appropriate recovery. Although her typical weekly cycle includes Tuesday and Friday workout days, she occasionally pushed the Tuesday workout back to Wednesday or the Friday workout back to Saturday to allow for the time needed for recovery from the previous hard effort. And at times, that also means taking the planned quality out of a weekend long run and simply running it easily instead. Read how your body feels and know when it's time to give yourself an extra day before running hard. As I said last week, if you aren't sure and you think you might need another easy day, take it. Be flexible. Run slow to run fast. In a recent GQ interview, Molly expounded on what she does for recovery between runs. She comments on learning from her time training in Ethiopia that all strain is strain, meaning it's not just physical, but also mental, and calls East African athletes pro-level resters. As professionals, they may run two or even possibly three times a day on occasion. But in between, it's not time for television or social media or chores. It's a time of mental recharge and true rest, including as much napping as possible. We see this mentality also in Michael Crawley's recent book, Out of Thin Air. Crawley merges cultural study and training log from years of living in Ethiopia into a beautifully insightful text. He notes that some of his Ethiopian training partners criticized him for writing in between runs. They perceived writing as too stressful to allow for proper recovery between the hardest sessions. I realize most of us aren't professional athletes, nor do most of us have time for multiple daily naps as much as we might wish we did, but we can take away the lesson of how we best allow our minds and bodies to recover each day. Can we find a window of time to allow the body to be completely still? And just as importantly in our culture, how can we calm the mind? We are overwhelmed by multitasking, often at the expense of doing a single task well, reducing the number of simultaneous stimuli, eliminating pre-sleep distractions like screens and blue light carving out space for meditation or prayer, and consistently refocusing on executing the day's intention 
are all tools that can help you recover more like the pros. I think maybe the most significant lesson from Molly Seidel's Olympic journey is possibly also the toughest to teach, her resilience. In both training and racing, as in life, we will encounter obstacles. Any attempt to push ourselves to reach audacious goals will be met with resistance. Race day never unfolds exactly as we envision. Whether you're pressing that red line for 5 kilometers or 26.2 miles, there will be moments of truth. Fatigue, side stitches, blisters, a stumble at the water station. These things that challenge our determination. And our measure as athletes is not if we face those moments, because we will, but how we respond. It's a skill completely of our own control. Yet often runners crumble in the face of adversity. As George Patton said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. So what can we apply from Molly's experience to bolster our own resilience? First, it's worth noting that endurance athletes have a better response to adverse circumstances than the general population. So the good news is, you're already on your way, and that will help you in any difficult life situation, not just racing. Molly's well of mental fortitude and resilience is so deep. She said in the lead up to the Tokyo Games, she wanted the hardest conditions possible because she knew she was made to compete. In fact, her personal mantra for the race was, I'm going to steal someone's lunch money. And in an interview with Momentus, she said, I'm not there to be a spectator. I'm there to compete and eat good sushi. What a fun, refreshing outlook, right? That confidence stems from an illustrious NCAA racing career in which she won four individual national championships. But it flourishes thanks to her exposure to struggle and failure. In 2016, Molly missed the women's 10,000-meter Olympic team. It was a crushing blow. It was the nadir of her battles with obsessive compulsion, anxiety, and disordered eating that had culminated in career-threatening injuries. Soon after that, she went public with her mental and physical health issues. And many of our other running icons share similar experiences of overcoming personal hardship. Frank Shorter's abusive childhood, Lopez Lamong's time in a Sudanese refugee camp, Dick Beardsley's battle with addiction. Like those athletes, Molly wrote more chapters to her story beyond the suffering. After treatment and with a renewed physical vigor, Molly embraced her vulnerability and that she must keep climbing her mountain every day for the rest of her life. She recognizes she'll never be completely past her bulimia or her depression, but she won't succumb to them either. And she works to best manage each day so her future is brighter. In the build-up to the London Marathon last fall, Molly beautifully articulated the attitude associated with her process. She told ESPN's Charlotte Gibson, I don't have to be perfect. The London Marathon won't be perfect. It might not be the greatest race of my life but it will be a learning experience. Molly no longer attached her identity to race results, and the downward spiral of her collegiate illnesses had been flipped. On the contrary now, she created an upward cycle of learning, improving, and evolving. 
Then she left London with a new personal best. We've said here before that there is no such thing as failure, only successes and learning experiences. Molly Seidel has proved that because she is willing to take great risks. In mile 80, we discussed our favorite quotes to guide your running journey. Let me read again the excerpt from Theodore Roosevelt's Citizenship and a Republic speech that Cosmo shared with you in that episode. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do those deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Molly epitomized TR's man in the arena and how she raced both the Atlanta Olympic trials and the Tokyo Olympic marathon. She challenged her edge, threw punches at the course, didn't accept the status quo of racing luminaries, and went out and stole some lunch money. If she had faded in those closing kilometers, we certainly wouldn't have counted her among the cold and timid souls. In a world where our overcoddling parents and friends increasingly clear the path for us of all the rocks and roots and debris that might cause a stumble, exposure to adversity is a key ingredient in eventually succeeding. Be willing to fail, knowing that failure is the greatest teacher. I ran a totally uninspiring time at the Toledo Marathon last spring, multiple minutes slower than my personal best or my last three marathons. However, I left more confident than ever. I put my neck on the line for 20 plus miles, running a pace I know is a near-term goal in order to test how I would feel and respond in that situation. I knew my training suggested it was a huge stretch and would require a perfect storm of conditions for success. Ultimately, the final 5K looked like running's version of the Bataan Death March. I left Toledo humbled, but also emboldened, believing I found my edge in that fitness state and learned what only racing a marathon can teach us about becoming a better marathoner. What is your Toledo? What is the moment disguised as disappointment that when properly evaluated might provide a key to making you a better runner. For more on building your own resilience, I recommend checking out Matt Fitzgerald's recent book, The Comeback Quotient, which prominently features Molly Seidel draped in the American flag on its cover, as well as Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. And if you want to take a philosophical dive into the qualities that keep us robust and less susceptible to breaking in the presence of adversity, read Nassim Nicholas Taleb's Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain From Disorder. It was Taleb who asked, what does fitness mean? 
being exactly tuned to a given past history of a specific environment or extrapolating to an environment with stressors of higher intensity, preparing for perfect racing conditions and competitors who are in the same shape as a year ago may leave us exposed to a trouncing. Instead, rehearse how you'll respond in the moment of truth and prep for the catastrophic weather conditions of Boston 2018 and opponents out to steal your lunch money like Molly Seidel. Then you'll be anchored in resilience for even the most rocky seas of racing. All right, this has been Mile 94 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Thanks for spending time with us, and please email us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com, with questions, comments, or show topics. We've appreciated some great emails that came in about our recent discussion about running and mental health. You can catch that conversation in mile 92 if you missed it. It's great to hear from folks who have enjoyed running as a channel to improve their lives and really connected with that discussion. Hope you take care and we'll see you next time on mile 95 of Seconds Flat.